everybody, and welcome back to another episode, our extra special 50th episode, actually, oh. uh, of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your ginger host, Mackenzie, and I'm excited, ladies and gentlemen, to say today that we are proud, happy, overjoyed to welcome back after her brief hiatus the monsieur Fermé to my monsieur andre <laughs> the the canadian b arthur director extraordinaire john adams of canadian theater it is miss autumn smith back with us hello 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 everybody That's it's wonderful right. to be back Yes. And I can now officially say that the podcast episode count is older than I am. So <laughs> that is bloody marvelous. Bloody marvelous. Yes, we want yes, we want to extend a deep thank you to all our wonderful guest co-hosts, including yes. Denny, who did Spider-Man, Katie, who did Hair, Jill, who did Avenue Q, Jessica, who came on and did Spring Awakening. They've been some wonderful uh, additions to the team. And we I dodged so the bullet on all the musicals that I don't really like. <laughs> I know. I sat there doing hair and I was like, damn it, Autumn really missed. Damn it, Autumn really dodged the bullet. Oh, and Spider-Man. Wake thing and Spider-Man. But I didn't get to do my Julie Taymor rant, which I'm very sad about. <laughs> that's okay. We, that's okay. We have Lion King coming up. But you'll be able to do oh, that Really, do we? Oh, maybe yeah. I'll maybe I'll take a hiatus. <laughs> no way, Jessica wants to do that one with you. Ah, it's a circle of life. Exactly, but we're not talking about that one today. For our big fiftieth extravaganza, Autumn, what are we talking about? Uh, da, 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 da. We are talking Phantom of the Opera. again with me a strange duet my power over you grows stronger yet and though you turn from me to glance behind the phantom of the opera is That's right. We thought uh, in honor of the big 5-0 episode, we want to do one of the biggest, most iconic musicals. And because the is being safe for the 100, we are deciding to do none other than Phantom of the Opera. The phenomenon of the opera. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Basically, yes. Basically. No. no. Yes. So, no. Autumn, because I chose the 100th episode, which is Les Mis, you got to choose the 50th and you chose Phantom. So why did you choose Phantom? You know what? I chose Phantom because I have an affinity for this show. Mm. I told my mother we were doing this show. I thought she was going to lose it on the phone today. She's like, oh, how come I'm not a guest? That's my favorite. 
And I saw the original Broadway production. You did. For my 14th birthday party. Mm-hmm. Which was Where? just my parents and their friend, our family That's friend. That's fine. Um, at the same time, also seeing Into the Woods. And, and Starlight Express. And, and Starlight Express. And oh, What a combo. Yeah. I have to say Into the Woods was like the one that I I cling to now. Which is funny. Out of Because it's experience. the best out of all of them. But listen, the build up to this sucker, the build up, I got the 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 two pack CD. We listened to that whole thing start to finish every single day for a year leading up to going to see it. I sang multiple songs from this for the Kiwanis Music Festival when the I was does. um you know, masquerading, ha ha ha, <laughs> as a soprano. Love so it. you know, it has a near, near and dear uh, uh, place in my heart. I met Michael Crawford. I worked with Rosemary Ash when I was in London. Mm-hmm. So I know, and Colm, of course, did it here. Yes, he yes, did. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it's a good time. It's a good it time. is. So there you go. That's why Autumn chose it. And that was her first experiences with it. So I think it was a lot of the world's first. Like it was in the first, it was in its first Broadway heyday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I almost died when Michael Crawford signed my piece of paper at the stage door. He was so lovely. And I thought I was going to pass out. I was so excited. I never get starstruck. It was Mike. It was the phantom, you know? Yes. It, it was, was a phantom of the opera. Yes. Yes. Love that. Love that. So good. So good. I mean, I'm out of my renaissance with it. I yes. must admit that passed after seeing it the first time. I'm like, oh, this was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah. But I think the the idea of it in my head was so much more epic somehow. Yes. Listen, yeah. I will give the show full credit for its spectacle. As well as its beautiful score. However, score's gorgeous. Yeah. However, we will get into this. I do have two problems with the story and the characters. So we will we, we will dive into this realm because it's problematic. It's highly <laughs> problematic. It's problematic. It is my sister's um, favorite musical, though. Quincy loves <laughs> Phantom. You see, you see, so. it's the spectacle musical. Yeah. There's a chandelier that falls. Hey. And goes cool. up in the beginning. Like what yeah. is there's a disip- like every trope from every other musical comes back. He disappears, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, into the chair. Yep. <laughs> the masquerade sequence. It's crazy. The people yeah. get hung. It's yeah. melodrama yeah. to yeah. the max. It is. It is. To the max. It is. Yeah. So, yeah. So for me, I've grown up with this musical. Mm-hmm. My parents gave me the four-part cassette of the original oh. cast that they got on their honeymoon. Oh. Then I bought the CD in, uh, of the Toronto cast featuring Carl Mogensen and Rebecca Kane. My mm-hmm. dad was supposed to go see the show in Toronto because uh, he knew the first violinist. Because oh, uh, he, co- he coached him in hockey. Mm-hmm. So random. I love it. Yeah, exactly. 
So, however, the day he was supposed to go was my first day of kindergarten. So my mother told him he couldn't mm-hmm. go. She, mm-hmm. she, she, she was a bit of an emotional wreck that day. Hilarious. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Love so, it. yeah. But my dad, I never saw t- the Toronto production. I never saw the Toronto production. My dad's sick home was incredible. See, I'm not, it's not for me. Yeah. Home is not a phantom. He is a Valjean. And I know he's an actor. He can play many things. The whole phantom was written more... in, with calm in mind. They wrote the music strictly. Like, that's why you have music of the night written so bloody high. It's because it's like I know, his vocal range. There was something. Because I watched many clips with him doing it. I'm mm-hmm. like, there's something vulnerable missing. Mm-hmm. He's too powerful. That, that um that insecurity that drives him to do what he does mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. missing. Yeah. Yeah. And he's too powerful. And that doesn't yeah. make sense. He shouldn't be mm-hmm. powerful. He's a scrambler, right? Yes. Yes. He's yes. a rat, as they say. He, he's kind of the rat that can scurry through the opera house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, so my dad did take me to see the show when it was touring for my birthday at the Princess yeah. of Wales. We were five mm-hmm. rows from the, from the front. So the chandelier came right over top of our heads. Oh, yeah. Uh, as well as when the pyrotechnics went off in Act 2, you got to feel the heat yes. from the sparklers going off in the, during the graveyard scene. Yes. Uh, I went and saw the 2004 movie at the movie theaters with my grandparents. I think it was the last time they ever went to a movie to the movie theater was when we went and saw Phantom. Wow. So I saw the movie, and then while I was attending musical theater summer camp at Theater Ontario, my instructor, Gerald Isaacs, told me stories about his time because he did Phantom in the Toronto production where he played both Ferme and Andre during oh, his neat. run. At the same time? No, 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 no. He, he switched parts, <laughs> which is too cool. So, so, so he got to do both roles. That's great. Yeah. I love so that. did that, did that. And then I saw the most recent tour redone production they had. I came through Toronto. Not great. Okay, Autumn. So for anybody who doesn't know, give us the plot of Phantom of the Opera. 1919 Paris mm. Opera House. There is an auction among the attendees of Raoul de Chani, uh, who purchases lot 665, a paper mache music box, a monkey figurine. You don't really need to know that. The mm. next lot, uh, 666. Hello, if that's not obvious. A chandelier in pieces. The auctioneer reveals that the chandelier was involved in a famous disaster at the Royal Opera House in the strange affair of the Phantom of the Opera. He commands it to be lit. They turn the power on, flickers to the light, and ascends to the ceiling in magnificent fashion. Flashback. And the story begins. Yes. That was just the prologue. Then Act One, it's 1881. Oh, so long ago, they are rehearsing Hannibal at the Opera House. There are some key figures, Carlotta and Piaget. Mm-hmm. Carlotta is the prima donna. Piaget is the leading tenor. Yes. They're doing a ton of different things. The backdrop falls. Someone yells Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. The owners, uh, Ferme and Andre, tried to downplay the incident. But it's very melodramatic. 
But Carlotta storms out, quitting the show. And Madame Giry, the opera's ballet mistress, informs Ferme and Andre that Christine Daae, a chorus girl, orphan daughter of a predominant Swedish violinist. violinist, has been well taught and can sing the role in Hannibal. So they're like, oh, okay, sure, we'll do it. She sings Think of Me. Ooh. Then, backstage after her triumphant debut, Christine confesses that her uh, teacher, her singing teacher, is an angel of music who she's never really even seen. I know. Mm. How cool is that? Yeah. So how cool. plausible, Gaston LaRue. So uh, Raoul, who you might remember from the prologue about the music box, 665, comes in earlier, more dashing fashion to her dressing room and says, oh, do you remember when we used to play as children and it's magnific- magnificent and, and fun? And he indulges her as she regales about this new teacher mm-hmm. and then says, I want to take you to dinner. And the phantom is heard in a jealous rage. Insolent boy, the slave yeah. of fashion. And she's like, Who's there? Who is there? Who is there? Who is the man in the mirror? <laughs> anyway. Insolent so boy. the phantom uh, appears to her in a mirror. There, she is drawn through the mirror. Again, highly plausible. The abduction. You call them the catacombs, as it were, underneath the Paris Opera House. This is the best part of the show for me. The catacomb section. It is. It, it is. It is a right? good section. What is however, not to love? How about the catacombs of Paris? Well, it's a very cool place. However, the spectacle really does cover up the fact that this guy just kidnapped this virginal teenage girl into his into his lair. It's like a horror. It's, it's like every horror book from this era. The Draculas yes. meeting the Virgin yes. Blood. It's like the, yeah. you know, uh, what's his name? Not Nosferatu. Yes, Nosferatu. Yeah. It's it was a genre at that time, right? The, uh, they sing Phantom of the Opera. Key hit song turned into pop versions. Amazing. Yeah. Phantom explains that he has chosen Christine. How wonderful for her <laughs> to sing his musical compositions. When he reveals a mirror that reflects uh, an image of her in a wedding dress, the mannequin in the mirror spreads his arms towards the real Christine and she <laughs> faints in shock. The phantom then covers her tenderly with a cloak and sings music of the night to her. Creepy. Okay. Well, I'll we'll <laughs> get into that song. It's on my not so good list. Um, Me too. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Uh, she awakens later with him playing the banging on the organ and the music box playing. And she slips behind the phantom, lifts the mask and beholds his disfigured face. Oh, how terrible. The phantom rails at her and uh, expresses his longing to be loved. Moved by pity, Christine returns the mask to the phantom and he escorts her back. What a foray. What a foray into the underworld. Meanwhile, Joseph Bouquet, the stagehand, tells a tale about the opera's ghost and his terrible, wait for it, Punjab lasso. <laughs> going to say probably very racist. I would say so. Yeah. So maybe but, that but, should be but, reimagined. As but they we, don't... But, but, but I mean, they don't call it that lasso. They call it a, a, a they call it the painting's magic lasso. Okay, so yeah, that. no, hold on right here. So in the song, he goes, so he says, like yellow parchment in it is his skin, 
A great black, a, a great black hole serves as the nose that never grew. You must mm. always be on your guard, or he will catch you with his magical lasso. Then Madame Jury says, "Those who speak of what they know find too late imprudent silence is wise." Joseph Bouquet, mm -hmm. hold your tongue. Keep your hands at the level of your eyes. That's right. That's right. Okay. So this lasso, this magic lasso, is a hanging device that garrots people, which means basically not only hangs them, but basically cuts their head off. It's not so nice. The managers receive a note from the Phantom saying that Christine must replace Carlotta as the countess in his new opera. Ferma and Andrea assure Carlotta that she'll remain the prima donna. Prima donna, yes. yeah. At the premiere of Del Muto, the, the Phantom halts uh, the performance, uh, saying that his demands have not been met. He enjoins, he, he enchants Carlotta's voice to be like a frog, and Furman rushes to fuse the situation that and, and says Christine Daae will take over. Yes. And he instructs the conductor to bring the ballet forward to keep the audience entertained. And then suddenly the corpse of Joseph Bouquet drops from the rafters in That's the magical lasso. Correct. Ferme and Andre plead for calm, but it's uh, it's 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 a disaster. It's a, yes. It's a, a, a disaster beyond their imagination has uh, occurred. Yeah. Uh, yes, indeed. In the ensuing chaos, Christine escapes with Raoul to the roof. They sing, "I'll ask of you." It's great. The Phantom was overheard. Their conversation is heartbroken and swears uh, revenge on them both. In the auditorium, the chandelier crashes to the stage, and there's a All I Ask of You reprise. Act two. <laughs> uh, thank God this isn't like an opera where there's like 20 acts. But six months later, in the opera house, there is a beautiful masquerade ball with the most glorious outfits you've ever seen. The phantom who has been conspicuously absent since the chandelier met its doom. Mm -hmm. appears in the costume as the Red Death. Interesting. He announces that he has written an opera entitled Don Juan Triumphant and demands that it be produced with Christine, who is now engaged to Raoul, mm -hmm. in the lead role. I feel like mm -hmm. melodrama is coming out of my mouth. He pulls Christine's engagement ring uh, from the chain around her neck and vanishes in a flash of light. Raoul accosts Madame Giri and demands that she reveal what she knows about the Phantom. She reluctantly explains that the Phantom is a brilliant scholar, magician, architect, inventor, and composer. All these mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Who is born with a deformed face, feared and reviled by society, who is cruelly exhibited in a cage as part of a traveling fair until he eventually escaped and took refuge beneath the opera house. Yes. Uh, Raoul plots to use the premiere of Don Juan Triumphant to trap the Phantom and end his reign of terror. Mm -hmm. he, I don't like Raoul. He asserts that the Phantom will attend the opera, the opera premiere and begs a reluctant Christine to help lure the Phantom into the trap. Torn between her love for Raoul and her awe of the Phantom, Christine visits her father's grave. Things wishing you were somehow here again. Phantom appears out of nowhere at the top of a mausoleum. Mm -hmm. uh, Christine begins to succumb to the Phantom's influence, but Raoul arrives to rescue her. The Phantom taunts Raoul, hurling fireballs at him. Very exciting. Don Juan Triumphant premieres. Christine and Pianche, the tenor, who is hilarious, singing the respective roles. 
during the beautiful love duet that they are to have, Christine realizes that the Phantom has somehow replaced Pianji. She calmly removes his mask, revealing his face, exposing the Phantom, and he hurries off, drags Christine off with him. Pianji's garroted body is revealed backstage, and the opera house returns into its plunge into chaos. Yes. An angry mob vows vengeance and um, as they should. Oh yeah. Kill the beast. Am I right? We're going right back. He's to a murderer, a psychotic murderer who's killed and two people. Why? Why is he a murderer? Okay. Who murdered his soul? The Autumn. system of society. We are gonna get into this. We are definitely gonna get into this. Madame Shiri tells Raoul how to find the phantom. And he goes back down. In the lair, the Phantom compels Christine to don the wedding dress. Raul comes to the rescue Mm -hmm. and he gets lassoed and they make an ultimatum. Mm -hmm. If uh, you stay with me, I'll let him go. If not, I will, you know. Kill him. Kill him and still him. Kill him. And they sing point of no return. Christine tells the Phantom that he's not alone and kisses him. His heart melts. And out of the kindness and compassion, and she he lets them go. As the angry mob surges ever closer, they come in, and he is on his throne. He hides himself there, and then he disappears. And that is the end. But um, bum. Yeah, what a journey! What a yes, (laughs) yes indeed, yes indeed. Holy kadoodle! Yes, I gotta say on that one. Okay. So, I feel like it would have been faster to sing through it. Probably, probably. Probably. We could <laughs> so have skipped then, a few numbers, expedited the process. So then, Autumn, do we want to talk bit the character of the Phantom now, or do you want to give us the creative team? Oh, no, let's talk. Let's go in our process. Okay. Let's okay. go in our order. All right. All right. So give us the creative team. Who do we have left? Because we talked about Hal Bridge, we talked about Lloyd Webber. So yeah, we have our friend Andy at the helm. What a mm-hmm. guy. Yep. Uh, and of course, Cameron McIntosh produced this mega monolith. Correct. We have Hal Prince. Yep. We have Jillian Lind. Yep. So we've got we've got all the regs, right? Yep. The original so the the piece itself is based on a novel by Gaston Louis Alfred Larue a French mm. journalist and author of detective fiction, Ooh. lived 1868 to 1927, best known for The Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> which has seen many, you know, movies, musicals, plays, adaptations, bastardizations of the work. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's turning in his grave. He also famously wrote the novel, The Mystery of the Yellow Room. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most celebrated locked room mysteries, which is interesting. Yeah. But you can see, like, he wrote in a very certain genre. And the horror and true crime and detective genre mm-hmm. at that, that, that time really played. It was very new, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, this is like pre-Sherlock Holmes, right? Yeah, like the, like it's this like massive like area played on yeah. this kind of, mm-hmm. and we haven't lost that, right? No, we haven't lost that intrigue and in look horror. at the amount of true crime pod- podcasts that are out there right now. 
the lyricist and book writer, uh, which is not really a book, uh, it was shared between Andrew Lloyd Webber and Sir Richard Henry Simpson Stilgo, who it, like had collaborations with Andrew Lloyd Webber and Peter Skellern. He is a keen puzzler who has hosted several quiz shows and written several books on this subject. We know him uh, from The Phantom of the Opera, certainly, but we also know him from the other Andrew Lloyd Webber phenomenon, The Starlight Express. <laughs> I shake my head. I shake <laughs> my head. I love it. God awful. Really importantly about Stilgo, though, in the late 90s, he founded the Orpheus Center, which offers performing arts experience to young people with differing abilities. So he was knighted at the birthday honors for his extensive charity work. I feel like we've talked about him before. Like this no, quiz show. So. Or maybe it was someone else that was into quiz. There was another, yeah, there was somebody else that we've done who, who, who season one that was so yes. season one there was yes. another puzzler a riddler in our midst okay so the next person is charles hart who was who's you know helped on this project as well english lyricist librettist and songwriter best known for this work <laughs> i feel like there's a theme he studied at robinson college cambridge and then did postgrad studies at guildhall school of music when he attracted the attention of Lloyd Webber and Cameron McIntosh. And then they pulled him out of school and said, hey, do you want to be the lyricist for Phantom of the Opera? So I said, yeah, all right. In uh, 1990, during Sondheim's tenure as professor of musical theater at Oxford, Hart linked up with like-minded writers, George Stills, uh, Anthony Drew, and Howard Goodall. And they founded the Mercury Workshop. The collaborative merged with the New Musical Alliance to become Mercury Musical Developments and is today a registered charity whose patron is Stephen Sondheim. I thought that was pretty cool. He wrote the book of music for Maul Flanders. He did Phantom of the Opera. He worked with Lloyd Webber on Aspects of Love. He did the lyrics for Bend It Like Beckham. And he's also done a couple of operas. Funnily enough, the vampire, he did the libretto for Benvenuto Cellini and the libretto for Marx in London. And the only other person I think we should mention is the designer. I was hoping you would cover her because she is very important to the show. Yes, it is on the design. It is. It's a spectacle musical. So her name was Maria Elena Bjornsson. And she was born in Paris. Her father was a businessman. Her mother was from Romania. Uh, both were from theatrical families, so it, it was in her blood. Um, she grew up in London, studied in France, and then at the Central School of Art and Design. And she designed sets and costumes for theater, ballet, opera, worked for the Royal Shakespeare Company. Of course, she did this, for which she was bestowed the Tony Award for Best Scenic Design and for Pest Costume Design, and a Drama Desk Award for both of those things. And she did the Trevor Nunn production of Aspects of Love. Unfortunately, she died at the age of 53 in 2002. But what's really outstanding about her is there are hundreds of costumes in this show. She designed every single one of them. 
No, no help. All of them. All of them. And Trust that me, we'll get into that. Is our creative team. How exciting. Yeah. Love it. Look at you. You blasted through it. Well, now we get into my production history. Yes. So first off, there's a lot of production history. I had to distill, as you can imagine, after after dealing with 30 plus years of onstage hijinks, the show has a lot to kind of go through. So we'll start back in 1984. When Lloyd Webber contacted Henry McIntosh, the co-producer of Cats and Song and Dance, to propose a new musical. He was aiming for a romantic piece and suggested Gaston Leroux's book, The Phantom of the Opera, as its basis. McIntosh thought this was a great idea for a musical. Then, when Lloyd Webber was at the Tony Awards that spring, he pitched the show to Hal Prince, and he immediately signed on, once again, saying this is a great idea. Magic. Uh, Magic. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, when it came to finding a lyricist, Bruce Lloyd Webber approached Jim Steinman to write the lyrics because of his dark, obsessive side, but he declined. Alan J. Lerner was also recruited, but he became seriously ill and was forced to withdraw. His main contributions, though, while uncredited, are to be found in the song Masquerade. Mm. So we will there. It's so a there goodie. Go. It is. We will get into it. Richard Stilgo, the lyricist from, from Starlight Express, wrote most of the original lyrics for the production, but Lloyd Webber found Stilgo's lyrics were too comedic, so he was let go. Charles Hart, a young and then relatively unknown lyricist, was suggested by Macintosh, and after he submitted samples, uh, Lloyd Webber was impressed and hired him. Hart rewrote many of the lyrics. Along with the uh, along with several original lyrics for "Think of Me," which is apparently the hardest song for them to figure out, so there was that. Some of Stilgo's original contributions are still present, though, in the final version. So there is still hints of Stilgo in the piece, but mainly it is hard. When it came to assembling the rest of the creative team, Marie Bjornsson and Jillian Lynn were brought on to do the design and choreography for the show. During early production meetings, Lloyd Webber was getting cold feet about having how Prince direct, and Lloyd Webber wanted Trevor Nunn uh, to tackle a musical instead, as he had had the recent success with Cats. So Hal was let go, but after Nunn's production of, of Les Mis got bad reviews, Nunn was let go and Hal was rehired. Les Mis got bad reviews? When it came out, it got really bad reviews. It, it, it was only because of the public interest and people and it was because of the public that show survived it was because of the reviewers mm -hmm. yeah yeah so a preview of the first act was staged at the simonton festival on uh, lord weber's home property in 1985 starring Carl wilkinson later to star in the toronto production of phantom of the opera yeah. as the phantom yeah a bit of an interesting thing there with him in the toronto production i mean right now rebecca kane the original christine has spoken out about her mistreatment in that production, particularly by Garth Drabinsky, uh, who failed to rein in Colm Wilkinson, who was becoming more and more physically violent to the point of doing serious damage to her wrists. So, that they actually went to court in litigation, and she won. So, there we go. Apparently, her and Colm have made up since. <laughs> but she still thinks Garth Drabinsky should not be producing musicals anymore. What was 
Is that your first clue? Or was it the prison sentence? Was or was it just his very abusive behavior? I don't know. I don't know. Either way, just wanted to quickly address that because that has come to light. Though, though it was reported on in the news that because Humble was such a big star at that point in Toronto, it was kind of like, he's the star. Like, we bow to him. Anyway, Sarah Brightman was Christine in, in the Symmetry Festival, and she would go on to be the OG Christine because the role was written for her. Shocking. Uh, she was only yeah. sleeping with the composer. Exactly. Well, she was married to him at that point. They were married. Yeah. I know. And then you had Clive Carter, who later who, who, who later joined the London cast as Raoul, the Vicomte de Chagny. So this very preliminary production used Richard Stilgo's original unaltered lyrics and many songs sported names that were later changed, such as What Has Time Done to Me, which became Think of Me, Papers, which became the Notes Slash Manager's Office. And the Phantom's original mask covered his entire face so that it remained in place throughout the performance. However, they found it was obscuring the actor's vision and muffling his voice. So Marie Bjornsson okay. designed the now iconic half mask to replace the uh the to, to, to replace it, and the unmasked sequence was later added to the show as well. So there you go. Cool. Uh what yeah, when it came to finding the Phantom originally, the creative team thought that. Steve Harley, the lead singer of the Cockney Rebels, would play the part of the Phantom. And he had done a music video of the title song with Sarah Brightman, which, Autumn, I'm sure you remember. Oh, I do. Yep. Right? It it is definitely an early version of the song. Yeah. They did not know where they were going with it yet. It was a rock and roll version. It was the 80s, man. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. And he had hair. Yes. Yes, and he had that. Yeah. He had the half mask that, that's on the poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway, but after a while, and when negotiations were almost complete, Lud Weber and Macintosh decided that Harley was not right for the role and backed out. And it was Lud Weber who suggested Michael Crawford, as both Crawford and Sarah Brightman had the same singing coach. And Crawford had been in other successful West End productions like Barnum, that classic. <laughs> Uh, the rest of the casting happened over three months, and on August 18th, the first day of rehearsal happened. Hal mm-hmm. did lots of private rehearsals with Brightman and Crawford to refine the relationship with the leads. He wanted to find the sympathy and sexual connection between the Phantom and Christine. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the first run-through, the casting team were left speechless by Crawford and Brightman. During rehearsals, Bjornsson worked on designing and manufacturing over 200 costumes, including the elaborate masquerade gowns for that sequence. It was Bjornsson's idea to add the dummies onto the masquerade staircase to fill the space. Two other production elements that caused conflict with the creative team was how was focused on getting into the production were animatronic rats with glowing red eyes and Bjornsson's concept of a white horse. Both concepts were deemed too uh, unrealistic and funny to be taken seriously and were cut out. Thank God. What, 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 what was he thinking? What was well, Hal Prince thinking? Well, Hal Prince wanted the rats to be on stage during like the lair sequence and stuff. No! <laughs> Why? You don't need rats. I don't know. That's ridiculous. Anyway, anyway so here's a was better he, one. Was he just jealous that he didn't get to direct cats and wanted Maybe. another version? 
Maybe. Like, seriously. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, anyways, here's a better one. Another concept that was tried was having real white doves fly over the audience during the reveal of the opera house roof. Yes. But the doves kept flying into the audience and were a hassle to retrieve, and they also crapped everywhere. So how cut them? Once again, the show's all spectacle. But that's not, that's just stupid. That's just, that's an oh shit moment, literally. <laughs> you can't, you can't do it. You yeah. can't. I think exactly. we should just do a version of Phantom with the doves and the, the white horse and the rats. <laughs> I want to see that version. I want to see that version too. Uh, when it came to the choice of venue in the West End, Lloyd Webber uh, was hesitant to open the Phantom in Her Majesty's Theatre as it was the site of his only flop, Jeeves. The Lloyd Webber was not happy with the musical direction and the way the orchestrations were sounding. So he decided that he had to hire Michael Reed to replace and refine the orchestra because there's multiple different genres within the score. So he was like, it's not working. Not working. It's complex. We gotta get somebody better. So there you go. So September 30th, 1986, previews began. It was right before the first preview that the stunt of the chandelier crash was approved. That's how up to the wire that chandelier crash was. Huh. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Reed, the musical director and conductor, had to resort to ducking every night to avoid collisions with the following prop. <laughs> chandelier. Yeah, exactly. Watch out for the chandelier. During the second preview, Brightman lost her voice. So Claire Moore, the OG Ellen, became the OG Christine Understudy and was sent on by Hal with no proper rehearsal or wig or costume fittings. Done. I love Claire Moore. Claire Moore is amazing. Yeah. Claire Moore's, apparently, it was a major success. She nailed that performance. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The following night, Brightman was back. <laughs> uh, the cast cannot have said, the success. Yeah, yeah. The cast jokingly said it was a miraculous recovery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Phantom makeup originally took over two hours to apply. One issue that happened during the early part of the run was was during the arrival of the boat into the lair. It would go off the rails because it was it was remote controlled. And ultimately, the local fire department, if they ever drove by, their frequencies would crash with each other. And so all of a sudden, the boat would go haywire. So they would be like spinning or zipping off the stage in the wrong direction. So, yeah, there was one night. Yeah, there was one night where really Michael Crawford got out of the boat and dragged it into place with Sarah Brayman still in it. There was another night where the boat really came to the teeter <coughs> on the edge of the stage. And really they had to like back out of the boat slowly. <laughs> so, yeah. Other tech issues plagued the previews and these stories were, were heavily reported in the media. Crawford was and is a perfectionist, became particularly frustrated and took to letting his feelings known uh, with the crew through several tantrums. Mm-hmm. which i gotta say not cool like the crews are no. doing the best they can you don't go yelling at your crew like they deserve it the utmost respect because they're putting in the hours as well that is not fair i'm disappointed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. michael crawford shame on you 
respect you are no better than anybody else in the process everybody is working as hard as who cares if they come to see you some mothers do have them who cares who cares exactly Exactly. don't be a yeah yeah exactly uh during the technical difficulties two previews end up being canceled Mm. imagine that andrea full house we have to cancel a full house yeah exactly uh the number of ballet dances was reduced as well to tighten up the show <laughs> there were more, there was more ballet in this piece opera and ballet yeah 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 yep. and then the production oh. opened on october the 9th 1986 the cast mm-hmm. included michael crawford as the phantom sarah brightman as christine steve barton as raul rosemary ash as carlotta David Firth as Monsieur André, John Savadin as Monsieur Fermat, Mary Miller as Madame Giry, Janet Devonish as Meg Giry, and John Aaron as Udo Pianji. The production overcame its trouble previews and received resoundingly positive reviews. The production was nominated for three Olivier Awards, including Best in Musical, Best Actor for Crawford, and Best Design for Bjornsson. The show won two awards with Bjornsson losing out. So then a 25th anniversary stage performance was held in London on mm. the 1st and 2nd of October 2011 at the Roy Albert Hall. It was screened mm-hmm. live in cinemas worldwide. That's where I saw it. I went to the Cineplex, yes. saw it live. Cast included Ramin Karamlu as the Phantom, Sierra Bogus as Christine, Hadley Frazier as Raul. Nice. Yeah, in March 2012, a new production was directed by Lawrence Connor, and it began touring the UK and Ireland to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the show. Nice. Yeah, performances uh, of the latest 2020 tour, together with the original London production company, both suspended on March 16th, 2020, as a result of COVID-19. Yes. Uh, in July 2020, it was announced that Macintosh and Lord Webber had taken the decision to permanently close the original London production after 33 years of running. But the two were determined for the musical to return to the West End. Statements later clarified that the extended closure was simply to enable a refurbishment of the theater and that the show could return unchanged and any returning production would not be the new version of the show. McIntosh confirmed in an interview on December 4th, December uh, 2020, that the original London production had officially ended with the investors being given their closing notices and that the 2022 production would be moved into the show's original home at Her Majesty's Theatre. Lloyd Webber and McIntosh announced a planned opening of July the 27th, 2021 for the production. On April 15th, 2021, Karen McIntosh confirmed that the original production would not be reinstated at Her Majesty's Theatre and that the designs by Marie Bjornsson, director Hal Prince, and Queer Arthur Dillion would be reimagined by a new team. The team, the new and current production of The Phantom opened at Her Majesty's Theatre, where the musical had originally premiered on July 27, 2021. Although Lloyd Webber described the show as substantially identical to the original production, changes were made to the show's set design, including, among other modifications, the loss of Marie Bjornsson's sculptures that covered the sides of the proscenium, previously described by Hal Prince as the key to the show. And the elevating angel statue at the end of Act One is now replaced with a replica statue from atop the Paris Opera House that 
appear stationary on stage. Other sequences, including that of the descent into the lair, which, which doubles of Christine and the Phantom, were cut and previously mobile candelabras became stationary. Hal's initial concept of the show taking place in a black box production has been redone as, as the concept required the use of black velour and paint around the proscenium, and that was removed as part of the restoration of Her Majesty's Theater. The once blacked out sta uh, stage boxes returned to their original green and red colors and were reintroduced for audience use. Gillian Lynn's original choreography was revised by Chrissy Cartwright. The, or the orchestra was, was reduced to 14 players from the original 27. Uh, the return of the West End production did make casting history as Lucy St. Louis was cast as the first BIPOC actress to play Christine in the West End. Okay, now over to Broadway. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, when the show came to North America, initially Lloyd Webber had hoped to open in Toronto prior to Broadway, but political pressure forced the change. Phantom began Broadway previews at her at the Majestic Theater on January the 9th, 1988, uh, and opened on January 26th. The cast included Crawford and Brightman and Burden all reprising their respective roles from the West End, and other okay. cast members include Judy Kay as Carlotta, uh, Chris Grogendale as Monsieur André, Nicholas uh, Weinman as Monsieur Fermin, Leah Martin as Madame Giri, Elise Hudson as Meg Giri, and David Romano as Hugo Piano. The show once again received positive reviews. The production was nominated for 10 Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Direction for Hal Prince, Best Lead Actor for Crawford, Best Lead Supporting Actress for Kay. The production won seven out of the 10 awards. Lloyd Webber and Stilgo lost Best Book and score to Into the Woods, and Gillian Lynn lost Best Choreography, but Marie B. Orson did win. The production has continued to run on Broadway, becoming a staple, and on the 26th of January 2013, the production celebrated its 25th anniversary and its 10,400th performance. The show is now the longest-running show on Broadway history, with over 3,500 performances. Yeah, you usurped porcelain. Uh, other notable phantoms include Paul Stanley, the frontman for the rock band Kiss, in the final, it was the final phantom in Toronto. Norm Lewis was the first BIPOC phantom on Broadway. John Owen Jones, Simon Bowman, Earl Carpenter, Peter Jobach, Steve Barton, Hugh Perino, and the OG Weston Andras, David uh, Thaxton were all phantom, are all notable phantoms. Other notable Christines include the wonderful late great Rebecca Luker, mm -hmm. uh, who took over the role from Sarah Brightman on Broadway. She was the first American Christine. I thought there was someone else that took over. Mm -mm, she was the second. Maybe I saw Luker. That'd be cool if you did. Ugh, Luker. And then there's Sarah Bogus, Canadian actress Samantha Hill, Ali Illawat. Uh, who was the first Asian-American actress to star as Christine on Broadway. Oh, awesome. That's mm -hmm. Now, there is a sequel to Phantom of the Opera, written by Lloyd Webber, Ben Elliott, Frederick Forsyth, and Glenn Slater, called Love Never Dies. It's loosely adapted from the 1999 novel The Phantom of Manhattan by Forsyth. That is all we're saying about it. In 2004, Phantom was made into a film directed by Joel Schumacher, starring Gerard Butler, as the Phantom, Emmy Rossum as Christine, Patrick Wilson as Raoul, 
Miranda Richardson as Madame Jiri, Minnie Driver as Carlotta, whose singing voice was dubbed, uh, Simon Callow as Monsieur Andre, Kieran Hines as Monsieur Fermin. Oh, that's well, those two are great. I would pay to just watch those two. <laughs> just call it Fairman and Andre. Yes. And let that be the thing. Yeah, yeah. The film has an approval rating of 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. And the rest tomatoes. are Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. So critics cited the film uh, for falling flat and being a, a, a historionic, boring, lacking romantic, lacking romance and danger. So there you go. The film was nominated for three Oscars and lost them all. Thus ends Mackenzie's production history. Okay, Anna, give me a, 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 give me a, what's your first song? <laughs> the Overture. That is my number three. it is it is by far the most iconic overture in musical theater who other than andrew lloyd weber in his crazy brain could turn organ music into rock and roll (laughs) it is true who in who in god's green earth other than that man that odd nugget of a human being andy with his dog can turn organ music into that masterpiece. <laughs> it's iconic. It is musical theater. Mm-hmm. It, it is a pedestal. Yes. It is recognizable. It is, it just takes you in and it hooks you and you're right there in that moment. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, what's getting, this is so magical. And the yeah. build up to it, the build up, the lot 666, a chandelier in peace. There's hardly any talking in the show. We get this prologue, which is all text. Yes. You know? And it's, you know, it's like, oh, I'm here. And it's lot six. They've done 665. It's time. It's 666. Satan's number. Let's yes. do this. Yes. It's yes. amazing. It is an amazing moment. It is an amazing moment. I mean, once again, the spectacle of that moment is incredible. With the rising chandelier. And I mean, the music, it's a bit masturbatory, to be honest. It's a little bit of Lloyd Webber showing off, going like, I need... He can be masturbatory if he wants to be. Yes. For me, I go, it's a little bit extravagant. But I go, also, this is a big, like, schlocky musical. So it works. It's not even just schlocky musical. It is a blend of opera and musical. Yes. What could be more schlocky than old-timey 1880s opera? Yeah. It's kind of poking fun. In a way, it's musical satire. And yeah. I fully, I fully respect that because mm-hmm. I'm hoping... Well, as he sits there petting his therapy dog, he goes, oh, that was genius. That was very funny. 
I hope people will laugh at this moment because this is yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, the show. I mean, you're right, Anna. You basically summed it up. Like, it's it's an iconic piece of music. I mean, anybody hears it. That 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 chromatic opening. That. Yeah. Like like the minute you hear it, and, and then it's the. Okay. Like it is, it is a iconic Broadway overture. It covers all the big songs that you're gonna hear. It just sweeps you into the story. So for me, I go like like I remember as a kid with my sitting in my room and just almost vibrating because of the oh, yeah. power of that overture. I'll never forget sitting in the Majestic in New York, fourteen, first time in New York, Michael Crawford. Yeah, Sarah Brightman or Rebecca Luker, either one, fantastic. Yeah, and sitting there and going, and waiting and waiting. I had listened to this for a full year, the yeah. whole thing. I was obsessed every single day. It was that, and we'd blare it in the house on our on our boombox, our JVC boombox. Yeah, <laughs> to yeah. my parents, you know. And my mother would sing. My father would come home from work and he would sing. My brother probably hated us all at that time. <laughs> and uh, it was a, it brought us together, right? It was something that we shared. And to yeah. be sitting there together and witnessing this, mm-hmm. it was be, and just to be live in that space mm-hmm. and have that around you. Yes. With the chandelier going up and the curtain going, like, it's like <laughs> it's a, yeah, is spectacle sometimes works. I'm, yeah, I'm oh, unique. I'm a very naturalistic. Yes. I love naturalism. I love dirty. I love muck and mire. But there's something about that that escape mm-hmm. in that spectacle in the beginning part of that. Yeah, it's bloody magic and. It it did something that opera does certainly with music, but it did it with something other. It it contemporized, you know, it contemporized this sound that we have, mm-hmm. you know, the bohems of the world and the, you know, mm-hmm. we've we've heard these for for years. And then Lloyd Webber comes in and goes, BAM! I'm yeah. shaking it up. It is exactly the same thing that 25 years later, Lin-Manuel Miranda did with Alexander Hamilton. It is exactly the shakeup. Mm-hmm. Angeloid Weber was the shakeup with this sure. musical. And it was amazing. It was amazing in a way that, yes, Les Misses is is spectacle too, but mm-hmm. in a different way. Yeah. Well, yeah, Les Mis is different altogether. Like, like, uh, like the way Trevor Nunn staged Les Mis with John Carrot, it was very Nicholas Dickey. It was very, um, what's her name? Um, it was very Joan Littlewoody. Like, like their original version yeah. of Les Mis only had one bit of spectacle, which was the giant barricade in Act Two. Everything yeah. else was done on a turntable. This show 
Yeah. It's a story. Well, exactly. The, the story is stronger in Les Mis. So you don't need the oh, set. Totally. <laughs> here, <laughs> here, in order to mask the fact that two characters are like paper thin, nothing. Well, that's uh, nothing. It's, it's, but it is a reflection on another art form. Yeah. It is mashing together it's, a bunch of different things and going, look at this. Isn't this ridiculous? We'll make this into a big spectacle yeah. and guffaw at it and, and have mm-hmm. fun. Let's have fun at the theater. Yeah. And that's kind of what I love about Phantom. It's kitschy in a way. Mm-hmm. It's super campy. Like yeah, the idea yeah. that he's masked and it's, it's about otherness, mm-hmm. I think is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it plays into every single type. It yeah. plays into every single trope. Mm-hmm. And in in that way, if you look at it through like a theoretical or a dramaturgical lens, you are taking the piss out of opera. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, look at what Lloyd Webber does. Every opera he writes for this show is taking the piss out of some composer. Like, like the um, poor fool he makes me laugh is very Mozart. Oh um, yeah. Oh you yeah. Have Don Juan, which I, I forget. He actually listed out like which. It's very one. Verdi. Verity, yeah, that's it's right. Very Verity, yeah. Verity is uh, Don Juan, and then um, and then you get Don. Well, Don, but his his Don Juan triumphant also has like uh, notes of almost like Philip Glass, like this kind of absurdist yes. sound in it. You know, yes. And um, Hannibal is very classic opera. Oh yeah, oh, like yeah. that is the most classic yeah. opera. It's like has. like it's almost Handel. it's or it's, it's more Verity yeah. than anything. I would mm-hmm. say Hannibal is. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, the overture. Love it, love it, love it. So that was my number three. Your number one. Autumn, what's your number two? No, I want you to do your number one. Oh, sorry. Yes. My number one is Masquerade. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm I mean, that it's is not on my list. Yeah. That, it's the not. Minute, yeah. 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 The minute, when, the minute I knew we were doing it, this episode, I was like, Masquerade, number one, right there. It is by far my favorite piece of this show. Yeah. I listen to this music, that song, so often. And it's autumn. I'll tell you, it's like top of the play, uh, of the long cutting playlist. Uh, absolutely, it of is right. course it is. It is it, again. It plays into that idea of spectacle, and it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like it's very subversive, and I mm-hmm. don't know. Angela Lloyd Webber is kind of a genius. He is. So smart. maybe he, you know, maybe this is all subversive, and we're just missing the point. But. There is something there is something so interesting that it's a masquerade and everyone puts on the mask to perform otherness, to be something yeah. other than who they are in the world. Mm-hmm. It is all about disguise. And yet the phantom comes in and everyone belittles him for wearing it. Just, like, it's like, come on, people. You are, he's, he's basically going, you are all hypocrites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I mean, 
what I really like about this number is that it is the mix of suspense and spectacle mm-hmm. because in the in the lyrics and in the music uh, in, in the staging and in the singing it's all spectacle like it's yeah. big it's loud the costumes yeah. are big but then Lloyd Webber underneath the entire time he has this dark bit of strumming this ever like the song opens with Monsieur Andre and Monsieur Fermé backing on stage and bumping into each other but the whole opening is just bum bum it's just a slow beat of doom. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's great. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he's and standing like, on the stairs. Yeah. The costume is like, just, uh It's so good. It's so good. Jorgensen. And the lyrics are so funny. I mean, once I knew that uh, what um, out Lerner from Lerner and Lowe did this song, like yeah. I was like, oh, it's right up there with... um. With the uh, lusty month of May, I mean, you listen. I mean, you look at the lyrics of Masquerade. Well, and with the Derby song from Fair oh. Lady, yes, every month, like it's yeah, like, exactly, oh. exactly, oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, the song. I mean, I mean, here it is. Here, so Masquerade, paper faces on parade, Masquerade, hide your face so the world will never find you, Masquerade. Every face a different shade masquerade look around there's another mask behind you then we get into all the rhymes so you have flash of mauve splash of abuse fool and king rule and goose green and black queen of priest trace of rouge face of beast faces take a turn take a ride on the merry-go-round in in an inhuman race so once again like it's smart it's punny it's quick it's in, and inhuman they're poking fun at themselves. Absolutely. Like it's like we're inhuman. Yeah. And like we're gonna we're gonna pretend we're someone else. Isn't that what we all do all the time? And here they are creating a mob to judge mm-hmm. a phantom. Well, hold on. We'll get into the phantom. He deserves some judgment here. Like we will well, get he into kills that. people. Certainly, of course. Anyone who kills people, we we must hold accountable for those actions. Mm-hmm. I'm not excusing those murders. Not at all. Yeah, but I do think that there is a rationale behind the murders. We will get into that with one with one of my song picks. We'll dive deeper into the Phantom. Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. putting a pin in that. But yes, and I mean, I will say it was fun because in grade twelve in our concert choir with Mr. Steve Winfield, our opening to our second act of the night was uh-huh. Masquerade, uh-huh. and we got uh-huh. and I mean, trying to learn those bloody lyrics. It's hard. It is very hard. It's fast. Yeah, it's very fast. It is very fast, very hard. It's staccato, it's clip, it's pop, pop, pop. Yeah. What a night, what a crowd. Makes you glad, makes you proud of the creme de la creme, watching us and watching them. Like it is very fast. And then you have all, and then people kept getting confused as well. The lyrics, because it's like Flash of Moe's, like think something abuse, like it's like. Something cares. Something what is with his fascination with the uh, colors and and, and costumes? They're easy rhyming too. They're easy. It was red and yellow and green. And green it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Autumn. What's your number two? I want to know. It's hard, but I'm going to say past the point of no return. Past the, the point, point of no return. The final Time 
Did not make my list, but good choice. I, there's something desperate about it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's called Past the Point of yep. No Return. Yeah. And it's it's urgent, and it is at the end where she has to make a decision. Yes. And they both have to make a decision, yeah. and what what are they morally going to do? How big is their love for each other? How big is their love for the music that they share? Yeah. You know, if I were Christine, I would be like, I don't want either of you. You're you're both. Er, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't think there's love with Christine. I think there's fear of this guy. I mean, he is. No, I think I think there's awe. I think and awe is a powerful tool. Awe moves people to mm-hmm. do remarkably interesting things. Think if you look at people who have been awesome. Mm-hmm. Think of great dictators, of great leaders. Yes. We hold them in a state of awe. We are, oh, I wish I could be like that. Mm-hmm. And then they do terrible things. And we're all like, oh, they're terrible people. But And then you go back and you go, yeah, but you thought they were awesome. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just dissect that and, yes. you know, dismantle your thought process now? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think she does. I think there is the shared love of music. I think yeah. there is a love, um, between a almost father figure and a daughter. I think that wishing you were somehow here again is the phantom basically saying, I have been your father. And those lines get very mm-hmm. blurry. But you also have to remember in Victorian times, older men, married 13 year olds yeah like there was no age of consent Mm -hmm. so those lines got blurred all the time so the fact that that choice was made is not surprising right yeah well for me Um, but i do think there's love i think there's love and i think there's kindness and i think there's she's the only person that looks at him with any empathy well, she understands his genius musically. However, she is also someone who is in a very abusive relationship. He literally says, you cannot get married. You will marry me only. Like, yeah. I, 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 he says, your voice belongs to me. Your chains are still mine. You will sing for me. And I mean, the fact this whole song <laughs> is very sexual and it's lustful. I mean, the fact that he's got his hands all over her and she's and she's drawn into this like he like he is abusive to her like he emotionally mentally manipulates her and verbal and at the end he does physically abuse her like, like so does raul raul doesn't do anything raul's, raul's he just, just wants there. to he wants to own her too just in a, a more palatable way I don't know. I we think can't. I don't think we can look at this in our twenty first century. <laughs> I think Raul is far less bad than the fans. Um, I don't uh, know. What's the I bad thing Raul does to that. Christine? What is the bad no. thing Raul does to Christine? That that, uh, that, that could be seen as abusive. Uh, it's not abusive. I'm not. I'm not saying it's. A, I'm not saying it's overtly abusive. I'm saying that ownership key, that ownership part of I need to save you. I am the man. I will marry you is as problematic. The Phantom is just more overt in his wants, right? Yeah, but He's that's like, like any man. You will sing period, for me. Raul was all about like Raul represents the every guy of that period who is like 
the, the historic good guy of the story who is I'm here no, to save you. He's not a good guy. That's bullshit. I don't I, I do not believe in the good guy when she has the full capability of saving herself. But so Lloyd Webber, if you what? are going to ima- reimagine your masterpiece, give her some agency. Please, dear Lord, give her some agency. Yeah. Anyway, back to point of no return. Yeah. I mean, I like that song because it's suspenseful, right? Well, yeah. uh, 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 the minute he walks out on stage in his cloak and it's clearly not Piondi, they're like, yeah, okay, we got the Phantom on stage. And now it's like you're trapped cat and mouse on this stage because the Phantom knows I can't go off stage because I'm going to get shot because we're oh, almost yeah. got guns on me. So I got to keep Christine close to keep, but there's, they're The whole thing is about entrapment. Yeah. So he entraps Christine as society mm-hmm. entraps him. Sure. Interesting. Yeah. But we feel for Christine, but we don't feel for him. Because Christine doesn't murder people. The no, Phantom she doesn't. Yeah. Murders people and also like kidnaps young women and keeps them in his lair and threatens to keep you there because you took his mask off. Like, I have no sympathy for the Phantom. He is a manipulative, abusive bastard who I have never felt any sympathy for. I go, you are mistreated, yes, by society, but does that give you the right? The Phantom goes, oh, the world mistreated me. So ergo, I now get to murder people at the opera and get to hold the entire opera. It's very different. It's very different. This is a man that was subjected to being in a freak show. That, that, That kind of humiliation and torture... That must have had PTSD effects on him. Sure. And if he suffered that kind of trauma, what are going to be his his triggers for snapping? They're like, sure, he's logical, but you cannot endure that kind of trauma and not be okay. It's hard. Okay, hold on. Let's look at the two murders. What's his motive okay. for murdering Bouquet? It is because the managers say, it's our opera house. We want Carlotta in the world. So- so, so, so the Phantom goes no. and murders Bouquet for, for That for is a not the reason why he murdered Joseph Bouquet. Why is he Joseph Bouquet was making fun of him. But the Phantom isn't there to hear it. The Phantom's in his lair with Christine. He's everywhere, all the time. He, has, he can hear things. Oh, and okay. Now we're says, Joseph Bouquet. Hold your tongue. Be careful what you say. Sure, because he could hear you. The Phantom isn't shown in that scene. So you're under the assumption that he hears him. I've always been that he hears him. I never him, assumed that he heard him because and that taunting. Because why would he kill Bouquet otherwise? Because he wanted to humiliate the manager. He says, "If you do not listen and do as I say, keep box out open, cast Christine." No, it's as, not as, that as manipulative. It's not oh, he's that totally manipulative. manipulative. He, he no. orders a ransom from him. He goes, "Pay me my money, or I create a disaster in your opera house." And the last manager was giving him the bribe money so he wouldn't cause yeah. trouble. Like, well, what other reason? Like, why does he need to get paid? Uh, 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 why does he need to get paid? What is the reason for extorting this opera house for money when you live in the basement of the opera house? Because he lives in a sewer. He lives in a bloody nice open lair. He needs to eat. He needs Madame to Jerry eat food. food. Madame Jerry would easily give him food because they're buddies. I'm sure she ensures as well. We're rationalizing something that maybe shouldn't be rationalized. <laughs> but Bouquet yeah. dies because he was taunting him and he was making fun of him and mocking I him. I think I think Bouquet dies because 
he no, is I, basically I think there as a prop and a spectacle to, humil- to to make good on his threat. And then no, I don't... dies because he's in the way of him being with Christine on stage. So that's not justifiable murder. No, he that is extreme. That is him pushed to a, an, an edge of desperation. He hasn't murdered before these two murders. And Bouquet makes fun of him. And I think that probably reminds him of being in a freak show. And freak shows at that time were awful. This is a time when people used to pay to go um, into um, uh, bedlam and, and mental institutions and poke people and laugh at them. Can you imagine what that does to the human spirit? Oh, it breaks it. It breaks the human spirit. It breaks it. So he is someone who is struggling with his, his, his human spirit. That has been broken by society over and over again. And he's a he's a master composer. He's a musician who no one will give the time of day to because he looks other than what everyone else expects them to look like. So now you need to find some empathy for him. I can't. I cannot find Come on. And Pianche is a goof. Pianche is a diva. And so he what? Does Carmata he deserve to die? <laughs> no, of course not. But it's it is a it is a commentary on class and otherness, and it's I think the themes are bigger. I think you're giving way too much credit to the Phantom here, because I mean, if Pal Prince mm-hmm. and Woodwhopper wanted the Phantom to overhear Bouquet, they would have staged him in that scene overhearing, but they don't in the scene. No, because that's that showing the audience too much. The night. Pal Prince they is a better director than that. It's spectacle. And if they wanted that type of justification for him killing Bouquet, it would be that. I mean, at least in the movie version, Bouquet is there and, and, and basically like the Phantom chases him through the, through the rafters and kills him for the sake of for, 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 for the sake of making good on his threat. Uh, I mean, no. the Phantom literally says at the end of my next choice, he says, so it is to be war between us. If these demands are, are not met, a disaster beyond your imagination will occur. And like he, he he brings down the chandelier. Okay, so that's okay, the so, disaster. Okay, okay, so so no, there's multiple that. So one night he takes out Carlotta, he yeah. then kills Bouquet, and then he drops the chandelier on Christine because she doesn't love him. Like hmm. No! That's Bouquet is just a, a casualty in that for making fun of him. I really think it's because he made fun of him. Because no. Madame Sherry. Otherwise, that line wouldn't be there. Madam Jerry would be like, yeah, go ahead. She says, hold your tongue. Mm-hmm. He is listening. All right. Thank you. I see we're at an impasse here, so I'm not giving up, but I, but I just go, we can't keep going around give in up. circles on this topic. You need to give up. <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I missed you, Autumn. I missed you. Oh, man. Man. Just for these okay, what's your moments. what's your uh, second choice? Uh, third my choice. second choice. No, second choice. Second, second choice, because Overture was my third choice. Mm-hmm. So my second choice is Notes slash Prima Donna.
Love it. Love it. I love this song. Like this song <laughs> is so great because it's Little Leopard showing the dirty part of, of, of art. It's his version of the art of making art that Sondheim wrote for somebody in the department totally. tour. Yeah. Because it's selling know, out. It's selling out because you have, yeah, I think it's Andre who's on stage was reading the reviews talking about how the cues are huge, but they have no star. But it's okay. We'll keep selling the show because publicity is good right now. So that's good for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, then basically, it's this whole number is just so big and what's layered. And, yeah. Because it's, it's so good because it's because Fairy and Andre are by far my favorite characters of this piece because they're oh, complex. Yeah. Yet simple at the same time. I, I, I just want to. They just want their venture to succeed. Well, they They're want like, their venture to succeed. They succeed, but they also are outsiders because their whole thing is they work in the scrap metal junk business. So they're <laughs> outsiders in this arts community trying to make a name for themselves. They're thrown into this impossible situation with uh, with this phantom who keeps screwing them over every step of the way. Right. It's, it's right. so good, and I mean the, the harmonies in this, like when they're all singing together, and it just, it becomes cacophonous. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous, though. Where did she go? It's, it is. It's, it's, I'm going to say this is my third one. I'm going yeah. with you on this. Okay. Uh, and it's, you know, like w- the wooing of Carlotta and, yeah. you know, that whole Prima idea. Madonna, first, first lady, lady of, the state. of the state. Like, it's, it's so manipulative and brilliant. And oh, it's so good. And yet it shows, like, exactly what producers and people have to do to get art made. Like, it's like, and it's so stupid because it's like, you can easily keep Christine around. Like Madame Drew's already said she's back. Like, yeah. not the issue here, but they're like, oh no, we gotta do Carlotta because she's throwing a fuss at us. So yeah. even though Christine's had a great night of reviews. Like yeah. it shows just the fickleness of art where it's like you can be superb and star in a show, but then the next I mean, look what happened to Claire Moore, right? Um, she went on <laughs> as the understudy of Christine, was superb <laughs> as from all accounts, and then the next night Sarah Brightman is back. <laughs> Certain irony in that, is there not? Such irony. Such, Such irony. Irony. And the fact that like you have them going, doesn't matter what the best cast, casting choice is. Doesn't matter if Christine can sing the part better. We will give her the silent role because politically, Carlotta is the star. And people will pay to yes. see Carlotta. Yes. And then on top of that, and we also you have- need to make money. Yeah, but then also I understand Carlotta on this song because she comes in and she goes, what the heck? Like, because this new chick is now sleeping with this manager, like the like the, the patron, now my job is on the line. Like, you totally get yeah. her anger and frustration because she's That's like, so, I, I love Carlotta. I love yeah. Carlotta. She's the best. She is my favorite. Like, she just I... wants to do her job and the phantom keeps screwing her over. 
I know. I know. She's in and the way Rosemary of what she Ash wants. is incredible, and so is Judy Kay. Beautiful Carlotta's. Yes. Just stunning. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. but it's so funny. Like no one, everyone's like, but my art, the art. And I'm like, who's going to pay for your art? And do you not want to get paid for being an artist? Yep. How, like it is the only job that sustains us through everything, even pandemics. And we still cannot make a living wage. Mm -hmm. What is that? Yep. What in God's green earth is that? It's the fickleness of art, Autumn, as highlighted in the song Notes in Prima Donna. Yeah, it's, but it's ridiculous. It's like, yeah, I like right? it. I'm going okay. with that. I'm going with that. Your third choice was the wonderful overture. Yeah. Woo! Now so let's get our other list. Yeah. The top three songs we either would skip or would cut. Autumn. I actually have a list. So do I. I don't know. Number one. Music of the night. That is my number one, uh, too. Uh. Which you know you cannot fight The darkness of the music of the night Let your mind start a journey through a strange new world Leave all thoughts of the world you knew not good because the whole i mean i watched the behind the scenes documentary of them doing this and how prince talks about in the song how how sexual this has to be like when christine grazes past the phantom as he's holding himself on the bars like jesus like it's like it's meant to be sexual like this song is once again it's the young virginal woman who's now kidnapped in the lair being manhandled by a guy who really has a dummy of her in his closet like <laughs> Like it's yeah. creepy and it's pretty creepy. And, it, and it's just so, I mean, the music is gorgeous. I will not deny this is a beautiful <laughs> I hate song. It. Like, it's just, it, I, I, I will not deny I have belted this tune in the shower. Like it is like, it just flows and it's, I mean, it is very seductive. I fall into the song, but then I go, Oh wait, hold on. This song is basically a, a, an assault song is what this is. This yeah. guy is without consent, manhandling her around his cape. Yeah. Now, listen, I will say that when Michael Crawford did this song, it was very sexy. Yes. It wasn't sexy. It was sensual. There is a very mm. big difference. As a 14-year-old, I don't remember going, oh, Michael Crawford is sexy. <laughs> I, I never did that. My mother might have. I'm not sure. I'll have to ask her now. I'm going to phone her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to FaceTime her okay. in. Okay. She's gonna love this. Hold on, I'm gonna do this. Okay. Hello. Wow, wow. 
Well, well, here's my mother. Hello. Phantom of the Opera. Mom, we have a question for you. When we went to see the Phantom, did you go uh, and say to yourself, oh, the Phantom is sexy? Did I say he's sexy? I don't remember saying that, but he sure made you fall in love with him. What was it about Michael Crawford that made you fall in love with him? His hands. The way he used his hands. Well done, Mother. (laughs) Thank you for your input. You will be on our episode now. Aren't you excited? <laughs> yeah, I am. Okay. There you go. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Love you, love you, bye. <laughs> Conversations with Mo. Is she loves him. Loves him. But you, 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 you can see why. Yeah. And he has this thing that he does with his hand. And yes. It's his middle finger. Well, 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 that was Hal Prince's idea. Hal Prince came up with that staging concept. Magic. Mm-hmm. magic i'm doing it with my hands everybody because yes. it's magic and it was so tender and you're like oh, take me uh <laughs> well yeah i mean this is the song that made the phantom into a sex object a yeah. sex icon that a lot of women come to that show for the sake of they're attracted to the phantom like, well, as it's you like said, being attracted to a serial world. killer a lot of people are attracted to serial killers you never get that either um i don't get that one the Phantom I get, though, because it's this otherness and they're like, I can save you. You actually have some gentleness and some kindness. They forget the fact that he's just basically kidnapped her. Yes. But music of the night is just pedantic to me. I'm like, night and everyone night loves night. it. And their love for it made me hate it. Like, it, they just made me hate it. Okay. So what's your number two? Uh, my number two... Is think of and though it's clear, though it was always clear, that this was never meant to be. If you happen to remember, stop and think of me. Almost made my list because that is another. I hate. I hate it. Think of me. I'm like, you're so boring. Get a backbone. Let's move on. Wafer. I mean, I get it. I I get it. It's the ingenue. (laughs) Right. The The ending spectacular. Oh yeah. For me, I know it bugs me this song because, as the wonderful Seth Rudetsky pointed out. Carlotta sings it in a higher key so it doesn't sound as good. They drop the key for Christine so it sounds nicer. And I'm like, but Carlotta still fair. sounds better. Carlotta still sounds better because it's an opera song. Yeah. Think of me. Like it's got to be big. It's delicious when it's opera. Yeah. But when it's musical theater, it's like, yeah. It's like an ingenue song. It's like, yeah. Like some Rogers and Hammerstein uh, on yeah. songs. Yes. I'm like, eh, I don't exactly. care. Yeah. I don't care. It's the out of my dreams. But it out of my dreams the, without the complication of the ballet. It's like just uh no of her tortured mind. 
Think of me as just like, I'm going to sing this pretty song now. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And and that was the reason why it was so hard for them to write. Because they were like, what is this song? Like, we have one line. Think of me. My mother's going to hate me even more now because this is her second favorite song. (laughs) Well, my The third one's just going to put a nail in my coffin. Oh, goody. Goody, goody, goody. Mm -hmm. Uh, my number two, though, is Notes slash Twisted Every Way. Here's a little flower. Ah, Miss Dyke, quite the lady of the hour. She has secured the largest role in this Don Juan. Christine Dyke, she doesn't have the voice. Signora, please. Then I take it you'll agree. She's behind this. It appears we have no choice. She's the one behind this, Christine Dyke. How dare you? I'm not a fool. You evil woman, how dare you? You think I'm blind? It's just my fault. I don't want any part in this plot. Miss Dye, surely. But why not? What does she say? It's your decision, but why not? She's backing out. You have a duty. I cannot sing it, duty or not. Christine, Christine, you don't have to. They can't make you. Please, monsieur, another note. It's redundant. I, yes, uh, it is. Like, like it's, it's, it's basically the reprise from Act One, the manager scene. Just now, Christine's in it, and she says, I don't want to sing, and they go, you got to sing, and then she goes, okay, fine. And, and, and then it's into rehearsal uh, for the song. Yeah. And, then it, and, and then it's um, wishing you were somehow here again. And for me, I just go, the movie. Actually, I like that song. Oh, yeah, I like that song, too. Yeah, uh, yeah, for me, the movie actually did it smarter, where they combined the note scene with the Phantom's arrival at the Masquerade, and he's giving them the score. Mm. So that's I was like, cool. that's actually a smart way to do it, where he's giving hey, all go, these Way to go, Joel Schumacher. Well, that was Lloyd Webber. Joel Schumacher just directed that piece and did a very bad job with the Masquerade. It had no color. Mm. Which was boring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, okay, I'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, I just go. It's redundant. Don't need it. Like yeah. I get it. It's I get it. It's got the complexness of Christine being twisted every way, every way. But it's like, but it's like we're, we're she is the most uncomplicated character. She is Once not again, a complicated character. Yeah. They gave her nothing else except yeah. poor me. I must listen to the patriarchy that surrounds me. Yep. Oh, whoa. Do I go what with this? What was me? Terrible human being or this terrible human being? <laughs> or do I work for these terrible men? Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, exactly, Autumn. You nah, nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, you want to know what my sad. number three is? Yes, what's your number three? I'm going to steal your thunder, Mackenzie Horner. Oh. And I am going to tear down the love duet. All I ask of you. That's all I ask of you.
That is, that almost made my list, but I have another one for my third pick. Oh, what? Yeah. I'm disappointed. I've been gone too long. I've been gone too long. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm not a big Raul fan. I'm like, I, just, clearly, clearly. From you're as old, bad as the Phantom. I'd, I'd pick the Phantom. He's at least got some passion. Abuse He's not some passion. Boring, you know, Vicom. Yeah. Who cares? Why don't you share your privilege over in that box over there? Mm-hmm. And I'll hang out with this guy who wrote some music for me. That's way more intriguing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 I get what you mean. Once again, for me, I go, it's because of the staging that was done in the tour. For a brief minute, they actually had a smart staging where she looked like she was going to throw herself off the roof. And then it's Yeah, off. but it doesn't, but she didn't. She didn't. But for me, I go, the, the Raul played the song as if he was trying to coax her back from the roof, from the ledge. Well, that's and, and that's where I went. That's where that song is neat. Because if staged correctly, this is a very, this could almost be the retort to music of the night. Where the figure is possessive with, with Christine in that moment. Raul is comforting. And saying, but yeah, it also was dangerous because his, the whole lyrics of that is well, let me pull it up say you love me yeah yeah basically once again it's an, it's a retort to music of the night because it, 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 it's his it, competition it, song yes let me be your show for say me you love me yeah you know i do love me that's all i ask of you uh, once I again that, there's that possession just like the phantom, I, she was, I know. Like they're so both. So maybe she should have jumped. Picks. She maybe she should have. Um, but I mean, like that's what the power of the song is: is that it's it it's dark and scary in a way of of um uh, uh, of this possession, right? Like there's something to it where I go, I can actually get a little bit behind this song. But once again, it's horribly usually staged, where staged is the most generic love duet in history. Yeah, but you're, there's you're, something you're basing it on one. Pr- Stellar production. Don't do that. This production wasn't stellar. That moment was stellar in a very bland production. Just that one moment. Don't face it on that one moment. That one choice. You can't. Uh, mm-hmm. I think. Well, for me, I go the lyrics whoever gave this moment with Charles Hart. Uh, very subversive. It could be taken either way. It could be taken as dangerously possessive, or it's taken as love. I think. Uh, I think that's just me. But my number three though is. The All I Ask of You reprise sung by the Phantom from his hiding place. I gave you my music Made your song take For me, I go, this is where I really lose any sympathy for the Phantom. Because he comes out from hiding and he says, I gave you my music, made your song take wing, and now how you've betrayed me, or sorry, how you've repaid me 
denied me and betrayed me. He was bound to love you when he heard you sing Christine, Christine. And then he hears Christine. And then he says, you will curse the day you did not do all that the painter asked for you. I'm like, like, that's abusive. That's almost level of incel. Those horrible people, those men who think women should bow down to me because I am smart, I am talented, I should be getting all the women. It's but because right. I look different, because I'm nerdy, because I'm not the stereotypical hot guy like Raul, I can't get the girl. So it's her fault for choosing the hot guy over me. And it's like, you know what? Of Screw course that's going to be his perspective. Of course it is. Doesn't mean it's a good perspective. No, but Raul's isn't very good either. I want to own you too. She's in the middle of two people wanting to own her and claim yeah. that they they know her better and that what she possesses is theirs. Mm-hmm. Like, screw you, dudes. But we can't look at it that way. That time when these these mm-hmm. novels were written, it's kind of like Notre Dame, right? Well, yeah. Esmeralda's put between Ebus and Frollo and Quasimodo. Yeah. She's got three guys up lusting after her in that one. And she dies. And she dies. But, but it was the a thing. Saved. It was a thing like these, this otherness yes. and the, you know. Well, look at Frankenstein, was, right? I mean, yeah. Frankenstein, same thing. The, the creature wants a bride. Yeah. Of and, course. And Victor Dracula wants a bride. Yes, right? exactly. The monsters and don't want a bride. Of course, all these virgins love. need saving. All the yeah. women need saving. But that was, that was, they were just writing what LaRue put in their way, right? That is, it was epic. It was melodrama. Yeah. It was spectacle. Yes. And I yeah. think, I think, you know, mm-hmm. should it be redone? Sure, it's spectacle. Whatever. Who cares? Well, it doesn't need a chandelier in pieces. But hold but, on, we're, we're, we're not at the end yet. I know that. I know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking out loud. Thinking out loud. Mm. Yes. Yes. Mm. Well, for me, I just go, this is my number three. Because I just go, no, thank you. I like so, it. I, 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 I have no sympathy for you in this moment. You are being a possessive asshole who drops a chandelier on a woman because she rejected you and chose somebody else. The chandelier didn't kill anybody. In the book, it does. In the stage show, it's when she's taking her bow at the end of the fake off, uh, the, at the end of the opera of the night. After Christine? Over, yeah, yeah. yeah she's, she comes out, takes her bow with the cast, and then she tells her soul bow, and then the phantom goes, go! And then the phantom drops the chandelier, and she's pulled off stage by Raul. Of course, he was there to save the day. And of that course. Continued. Of course. But for me, you I just go... Yeah, exactly. For me, I just go, the guy, this is the most best argument of why she should not be with the Phantom. He, she rejects him for somebody else. She chooses to go with somebody else. Who, right, who, who, whatever we think of him, Christine chose him because what happened the moment before this song? The Phantom murdered a guy. So she's like, why would I go with some guy who's a psychopathic murderer? Like, like I'm going to go yeah. with the, the Vicomte de Chagny in this moment. He is a childhood friend, a security blanket to me. He's saying, let me be your shelter. Let me be your protector. Ergo, she goes with him and the Phantom gets upset and drops a chandelier and sings this overly dramatic song about being rejected. And I'm like, no, I feel no sympathy for you. You cry what you want on that angel on stage. Go, go. It's all very convenient. It's all very convenient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To me, I just go, no thanks. 
All right, let's get into the last topic, though, Autumn, which is, does this musical, does this musical still have a place today? I guess instead of should it be revived, it should should we keep it running? Should we still do opera? I mean, there's the bigger question, right? If we're going to do opera, we can do Phantom of the Opera. The 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 inherent evil is present in both. <laughs> so I think it's you know I think we just need to go in like with a grain of salt and go. Is this problematic? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Not everything needs to be. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I can't believe Mackenzie Horner. These words are going to come from Autumn Smith's mouth. All right. But not everything needs to be political and moving. And, you know, can we just have some spectacles sometimes? Not everything has to be Sondheim. No. Look at The world does not appreciate the Sondheims because they turn off their curiosity. So this is for people who... Turn off their curiosity and go just feed me some some spectacle, a chandelier falling, lot six six six. Let me go back and listen to, you know, Phantom mm-hmm. of the Opera and and think about the eighteen hundreds. And no, you can't adapt it and change it and make it more politically correct. That is not the time of mm-hmm. what eighteen eighty one was not politically correct. So. If you want to be, you know, cautious about it, do some talkbacks, do some like, like have conversations, invite the audience into the conversation. Yeah. But I don't think it's a danger. Like, it, yes, I'm a, I'm a feminist woman. I'm going to go, I'm going to be like, this is a bit of bullshit, but I like the chandelier. So I'll yeah. still go. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have to be discerning. Anyone... Mm-hmm. With half a brain can look at this as what it is. It's melodrama. It's spectacle. Mm-hmm. It's poking fun at an art form that is so antiquated. Mm-hmm. If we want to fix, if we want to fix things, we should go back and fix opera, which is terribly yeah. problematic. Yes, like talk about women being abused and owned, mm-hmm. yeah. racism being ever apparent. Yeah, who cares if the music is beautiful? We can have music without the problematic structures that surround it yeah we can still have things that are aesthetically pleasing with music without you know the horrors that go along with it yeah there's the people there's just no middle ground for conversation Mm -hmm. so yeah let's do phantom let's let's just knock it out of the park we'll do oklahoma at the same time also problematic we just got we got to understand going into these things that they're problematic. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I just said that. What I is know, happening I'm to me? I'm shocked, Autumn. What has happened? I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Me, I love a good chandelier and pieces. Well, once again, Phantom of the Opera, and this is my note, is my first thing is this piece has survived on a spectacle. It is like a Marvel movie where people go for popcorn fun. But for me, I go, no, don't. This musical needs to quietly fade into the music of the night. It has done its, it has done its due diligence. It, there are other shows or spectacles now, like Hamilton, all these things. Like nowadays, the show is just so, 
antiquated. And the fact that we are talking more about mental health and abuse, um, like this is not a good show for that. Like, like you have Christine who has got two men who are possessing her, abusing yeah. her. Like, I this know. is not a good musical to keep perpetuating because all, every all the like the, the documentary showed that I watched that when the when when they when they when they did, they did the uh, anniversary twenty fifth anniversary they were interviewing young girls who were going to the show. There, uh, the, the interviewer asked, "Well, why do you like the show?" Then they go, "Well, the Phantom's so hot. He's so sexy. He's so misunderstood." And it's like, no, this guy is a raging psychotic murderer. But it's abuser. because society made him that way. Autumn, that is a scapegoat answer. I'm, I'm not scapegoating him. His actions are inexcusable. Murder, harm, kidnapping, all of these things are inexcusable. I'm saying because we need to look at society's role in this work. And I think that actually happens in the same way that it does in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> or in our favorite. Mm-hmm. All right. Parade is much smarter. I take Parade over Phantom. Well, of anyway. course it's much smarter. It's not based on a novel from 1881 that is a melodrama written by a true crime uh, specialist of the time. Right? True. Like true. It's, it's poking fun at a lot of different things. It's poking mm-hmm. fun at opera, which is the yeah. antiquated art form. Yeah, It's poking yeah. fun at, at what art is and how mm-hmm. we need money to do it. It's poking fun at, you know, high art. It's poking fun at high yeah. art and classism that is inherent mm-hmm. in that art form. It's it's it, it's a shining light on otherness mm-hmm. and what trauma can do mm-hmm. to the human spirit. Mm-hmm. It's shining light on mm-hmm. oh my god, aren't we glad that we've come so far as women? <laughs> sure, but Autumn, how many people go into that show and think about that and don't just go and go like, oh, the fans understood, he's hot. I don't think many. I mean, if that's this is very juvenile. it's like what you said to me about um, Wicked. Where, where I said Galinda's a where I said Galinda's a complex character, a misunderstood oh. character, and, and 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 then you said and Lynn said, well, how many people actually listen to the lyrics of "Thank Goodness"? No, they don't. You're right. They don't. No one, no one goes into a musical thinking that. So maybe you're right. Maybe it does need to slowly drift into, into the, the music of the night. And especially now that they're redoing it without Hal Prince and Marie Bjornsson and Julian Lynn and their stripping yeah, it no, down and I, I totally it. disagree uh, with that yeah. it is a piece yeah. that should be done in its original form yes absolutely always it yeah. it was it, it is a museum piece now 100 mm-hmm. that is what yeah. it is yeah. kind of like Les Mis Les Mis is uh almost at the end of its life too I don't think so Les Mis, ha- Les Mis has a much more complex better story than yes it, universal it, power no you're story. right but all the women are victims and whores or just owners. Like Valjean tries to own Cosette the same way the Phantom tries to own Christine. Ah. No. Val- Does Valjean uh, rob and, and steal? And, and He you steals know? a loaf of bread to save his sister's son. Yeah. And he saves Cosette but from abuse. Do... And the only reason why he's protective of her is because he's always afraid Javert's going to come find them. You. Love the Tenardiers. You love them. 
do not I do. say you don't love them. They are and my favorites. They are just, they're just as manipulative. They're worse than the Phantom. They are worse. But Autumn, you have to look at them from a society perspective. Exactly. So do you with the Phantom. No, because the Phantom murders people. Tardia, yes, he goes and rips the gold teeth out of dead students' mouths to to move himself up in class. The Phantom kills Joseph Bouquet because he said some mean things to him and hurt his feelings. But you have to you have to realize that that is a, a a trigger point. He's a person that has been in a cage, being mocked and poked at. That that changes the psychosis of a human being. And I think that is an interesting way of looking at that character. Like Madame Jury says, says about him being, you know, he's a genius. What's that? He calls him a genius. She says he is a genius. Monsieur. He is a genius. He's a genius, but he's a genius because of his struggle, which is mm-hmm. terrifying. Would he be as much of a genius if he were Raoul? Probably not. He'd be as boring. Right. <laughs> but the 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 effect of being in a freak show at that time when you traveled around like the venus hottentot another yes. example right like cut up and and quartered yeah. and dissected to yeah. see what was wrong with her mm-hmm. and just the the objectification of a person and people looking at you and calling you other mm-hmm. and they turn you into the beast and he acts out because he is like that because society has done that to him i'm not excusing it it is an inexcusable murder in any way but i'm just saying we need to look at the systems that are responsible for the creation of this kind of action that is who is initially responsible for Sure, I just wish Lloyd Webber had written that a bit better. He's Lloyd Webber. He's Andy. But he wrote Evita and JC Superstar, which are far more complex than Phantom. So he so it's, it's not that he can't write He's, complex pieces. But Phantom is also part satire. Like he's I don't think he went in going, Oh, I'm trying to make a point here. I think he was mm-hmm. trying to make an opera i think Mm -hmm. lloyd weber likes to play with genres and and you know um musical types right and i think this was his opportunity to go i've done my requiem now Mm -hmm. i know i'll write an opera and call it a musical (laughs) like yeah i you know and i there's hubris in that and yes it Mm -hmm. does lack a little bit of responsibility in terms of that I think Phantom of the Opera would be a far more interesting musical mm-hmm. if it was all written from the through the Phantom's lens. Right. Do you Absolutely. know what I mean? Yeah. So we could see that journey. Mm-hmm. Forget the forget the sequel. Do yes. the prequel and mm-hmm. show them and rep with each other. That so we get good. to see that journey and that descent into. Yeah. why he, he does what he does and the consequences of that on his soul mm-hmm. or maybe there are no consequences mm-hmm. from the murder and that is the question and then maybe society says we have yeah. to do something about this but don't make them an angry mob make them an accountable mob where they confront their own bias and their mm-hmm. role in his creation mm-hmm. he is just a uh, a more overt reflection 
of what they did to him. Yeah. And that's never, we never get to see that. Mm -hmm. We just get to see him disappear and then go, hmm. Meg doing the mask. (laughs) I'm next, please, Phantom. Basically, that's the sequel. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In, in like, on, on Coney Island or whatever it's called. Yeah, you're right, Autumn. It's on Coney Island. Yeah. Like, again, another place where you are others, right? Where yes. sideshows were popular. Yes. Uh, stupid. Mm-hmm. That's where I, there, that's where I started to go, uh, maybe yeah. I'm giving Lloyd Webber too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> but doing, but doing Phantom and like taking out the schlock. And actually really getting into that that mindset because the Phantom is a great character. Yeah. And I think, you know, not to rationalize it, but to 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 see cis, like society's role in it, mm-hmm. kind of like what they did in Parade. We yeah. got to we got to side with society. And yeah. then we were like, we start to question their choices. Throughout it, we're like, oh, but wait, oh, but wait, I'm still singing the old Red Hills. Oh, sh- I got caught up in this. Yeah. Uh, damn. Yeah. Right? I got caught up in the mob. So Chase and Robert Brown did a better job than Andy. Yes, I agree. Andy, look, uh, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say mm-hmm. this in all seriousness. Ness, Ness, Ness. Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote his best work in collaboration with Tim Rice. He did. Absolutely. JC Superstar and Evita. And even yeah. I would say Joseph is pretty darn good too. Mm-hmm. What it is. Mm-hmm. That's what I want well, to say. Well, all right. Well, Autumn, I think we've hit the end of this. You think it should come back, but reevaluate it. I think it should fade into the musical of the night. Audiences, listeners, let us know. What would you like to see happen to the Phantom of the Opera? Yeah. All right. All right, dears. Thank you so much for listening. Thank uh, you. Yes. Thank you for sticking with us. 50 episodes in. We are now 50 away from our big 100 extravaganza episode. But whew, we're halfway there. We're halfway there. And Autumn will, you know, I can't even imagine what we'll do for our 200th episode. <laughs> okay. Autumn, we will be in like, seniors homes together i'll be i'll be yeah. not on this third i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but there we go everybody uh autumn where can people find and follow you Jeez, like everywhere let's yeah. see got littlewoodsmith.com yep. you can catch me on the radio at muskokaradio.com lesbianist is the name of the show mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good times. I'm I'm everywhere. Autumn DM Smith on all platforms. Mm-hmm. Give me a shout. Tell me you disagree with me. I love arguing with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we just had a really good, healthy debate. So we're we're good debaters. We're very respectful. We are. We are. We are. Funny. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, thank you to Mr. Brody Well for his wonderful theme music he has a new album out which i have details about his new album is called locus and it is out now on all listening platforms including bandcamp spotify apple music so 
Give her a listen, everybody. It is superb. Brody is a wonderful lyricist. I keep telling him we got to make it, like, you know, I have to write a musical at some point. Yeah. That'd be great. So, yeah. Exactly. Do it. Exactly. Do it. Yeah. So Amazing. there's that. Yep. You can find and follow me at all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. You can also follow my antics with Cup of Hemlock at Cup of Hemlock Theater where we're doing all things. We just did a nine-part review series of the RSC's production of Nicholas Nickleby. You're mad. I'm mad. You're mad, uh, man. I'm mad. And I will say stay tuned because we have some very exciting film reviews coming up, Ooh, including man. one all about the musical that started us off in our first official episode, which is West Side Story. And we actually yes. talk about that movie because it was just going into production That's when right. we started. So that is correct. And we we're like, oh, is this going to be a thing? Is this going to be any good? But looks great. It I'm looks in. great. It sounds great. Yeah. Uh, and we cannot wait to see it. And we are currently working on when we will do a tick, tick, boom review as well. Otto's not as enthusiastic about that one. But no. No, but I, but 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 I think as a former Rent lover, I think you should be watching it in honor of Jonathan Larson. Yeah, but I'm I don't like Rent anymore. I'm sold I out know. on that now. I know, I know, because you actually paid you ruined it for me. <laughs> Maybe we'll get Jessica to come join us on that one too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, let's watch a musical about the person writing the musical Rent. Fantastic. More angst. It's musical inception. Great. Tick, tick, boom. <laughs> tick, tick, boom. Amazing. On that, everybody, stay healthy and stay safe. And listen to the music of the night. Or don't. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Sing for me, my angel of music.